You know, Al, I, you know, most of you know Al moved a month ago to Baton Rouge. He's in, actually in Mississippi for the most part being trained this summer and be teaching in Baton Rouge. And uh, it was hard to let Al go. And, uh, but I know Al is continuing to invite. He texts to me, and I don't know if you're here, but if you are, I'd like to say uh, hello afterwards. But uh, Al loves the church and just so thankful for him. And, uh, yeah. When was the last time you received an invitation to something? You know, nowadays we receive an invitation pretty often to different things through, you know, the word, the personal word or an email or by mail or evite mainly we see nowadays, but we get these invitations and for some people, you know, the, you know, the FOMO or fear of missing out or fear of being left out. Some, some people have that fear. I don't know if you're in this room, if you have that fear. Most people know that I've got phobia, a fear of being included. Uh, that's mine. I just don't, don't, you don't have to invite me. I'm cool. I'm cool. You don't have to ask, you don't have to include me. I'm cool. Okay. I got enough going on. I get invited into things I don't want to be invited into a whole lot. Okay. So I'm not looking for any more invitations. So unless it's a ball game or something like that, you invite me into that. But free tickets, that's okay. But when you get an invitation, you immediately have an expectation of what what you think that that will hold, right? You kind of run it through your mind just real quick. What's this going to be like? And you try to decide, one, am I obligated to it? Should I go to it? You know, that's one of the things because you may be looking for an out. And how long can I wait to tell them whether I will show up? That's the other thing because that's what we do nowadays, right? We want to have that last minute opt out if we want to. It just makes things better. I don't want to overcommit to anybody. But we go. Sometimes you have invitations that you, that you have very low expectations and you show up and it's way, way more than you thought. Then there are times you have reasonable expectations. You get there and go, well, that, that movie wasn't very good. Or that whatever. That just wasn't very good. <clears throat> My kids bought, me, uh, uh, bought us tickets to Hillsong Concert a few weeks ago. Uh, Hillsong United. Now, I'd not been to a Hillsong concert before. I had high expectations, though. Those of you know, they write even some of the songs we sing here on Sunday morning or some of the songs that they would be singing there. But what was awesome was, and I think, is that it exceeded those expectations as I was there. What happened in the room, it exceeded that. Jan went. Jan normally doesn't go to any. She doesn't like going to concerts. The bass kind of feels like she's being her heart's being jarred out of her chest okay because it's so loud but what I loved is watching her get there I think her expectations were low I actually think her expectations were I'll set out in the lobby a lot that's what her expectations were that's actually but she wanted to go with us and I just thought it was interesting she kept standing up singing these songs and when all these other thousands of people are singing so loud you think it's loud in here oh just don't even and one of the things I loved about what Jim kept getting up, she kept going, I didn't know they sang this song. She'd stand up and start singing because they sang so many songs, okay? But it was awesome. A few years ago, I got an, ex- an invitation, Jan and I did, to go to Northwest Washington to the Tulip Festival, okay? Now, now I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about theologically tulip, okay? I'm talking about the actual tulip, okay? And you know what? The Tulip Festival is not something I had on my man card, just so you know. <laughs> Like, okay, I want to go to the Tulip Festival. Right? 
It's just not something. It blew me away. It's unbelievable what the tulips look like up in Skagit County and in that tulip festival in that window time. It's unbelievable. And, I'm, and like I said, I'm proud to say I've gone to it now. I know I might not have been before. But there's the ultimate invitation. And some of you have come today. You were invited to church, okay. But there's a greater invitation than being just invited to church. The invitation is to know a Savior, whether you believe it is or not. But you could come at least find out. Come and see. Come and look and see. Is he who he says he is? There's this great, great invitation that's been going on. And you're invited. But one of the cool stories, I think, is when the early early disciples, those first disciples, get invited. And that's what we're going to read about this morning. about John the Baptist as he is baptizing, as he's going along. And Jesus shows up finally on the scene. And that's what we're going to read this morning in John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 35 through 51. You can, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and start turning there. Uh, or it will be up on the screen or go to your electronic device. Whichever way you want to do that doesn't matter to me. But I do want you to look at it. I don't want you to read it. I want you to read along with us if that's the case you need to do up here. And it's in the NIV. But John knows who he is. He knows who he is not. He is not the Messiah. He is just the one pointing people to the Messiah. John the Baptist. Okay? Be honest with you, just a side note on John the Baptist. John the Baptist, you know, he was a weird dude. Okay? I'm not even sure the Baptists would even invite him to their church. Okay, that's that's what, even though he's called John the Baptizer. I'm just saying, he had some strange things going on about him, but he knew his role, and he leaned into it, and he lived in it. But let's read this verse, uh, verses here, 35 through 51. The next day, John was there, John the Baptist, because uh, I don't want to be confusing, because it is in the book of John, but it's the, the apostle John, who's, who, where this is coming from, not John the Baptist, just those you may not know. just want to make sure. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew Simon, Peter, Simon, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said, who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. In other words, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means translated Peter or ultimately the rock. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, 
Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God and you are the King of Israel. Jesus says, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now there is a whole lot we could cover in here this morning. But we are going to camp out on Nathaniel is the somebody that become a nobody that becomes a somebody in this story. Many of you know that's kind of been the whole concept behind the somebody series, which is, is, is today the last Sunday of that. But the encounters we have with Jesus, when in Scripture, when people come face to face with Jesus, how are they different after that? I said to you a few weeks ago, it's not just the fact you have an encounter with Jesus, it's what happens after the encounter that really makes the ripple effect and the big difference. Just coming face to face with Jesus, that's great. But what happens afterwards has unbelievable ripples both directions. It's not like a pebble thrown in the water and there's no ripples because that just doesn't happen. With Jesus, it's like a boulder being dropped in the water. What you do with him matters. Give a little bit here again with John and just make sure we, there's a few things, there's like many sermons I could preach you this morning. However, I will do many ones, but they're really many, okay? But I love what he says, the way the word says, he looked intently at Jesus. This is John, and he's passing by. Now think about that. Jesus is walking by. And he says, look. It's not like, hey guys, look. I think it's Jesus. That's not what he did. He said, look. The lamb of God, look, exclamation point, look, with some excitement, look. Now, nowadays, we'd have to say, get your head up first, because most people are not going to see what's going on around them, right? Most people this day and age walk by stuff all the time, and they don't see it. Why? Because their head is down. I do believe I have one of the gifts, one of the gifts the Lord's given me or experience is the gift of observation. Jeff and I had that this week with him parking a van. It was kind of funny. Jeff almost hit a limb. He was about two inches from a limb this week. He didn't realize it, but it was funny after we got out there. And he asked the question, how did you see that? I said, well, I just looked. <laughs> That's all I did. I didn't, there's no really like ESPN or anything or some kind of special thing I've got, even though I do have ESPN, but uh, it's just, I saw it. I looked. That's all I had to do was look. But look. Look, guys, the one we've been talking about, the one that's been written about from the, almost from the beginning, the one that the, the, the whole Torah is about, the whole New, Old Testament, everything. Look, he's here right now. And they did what? You wish everybody did when they realized he's walking by. They turned and they followed him. 
couple of things. One is the Lamb of God. I love what Dr. Dan talked about last week. In the Old Testament, all the way through to Revelation, it's been about the Lamb of God. It's never been about the prophets, even though the prophets are important. It's always been about Jesus. And any time we preach, or any time we teach, or any time we sing, it needs to be about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus, okay? It's not about a church. It's not about a denomination. It's, not, it's about Jesus. So look. So when I look, when I say to you and I invite you or I'm a part of that invitation, like John the Baptist to say or whoever, you may be a forerunner for other people, folks. You may be the forerunner for your children. You may be that forerunner parting the way for who? Jesus. And I love the fact that, man, they just turned and they followed. There was no, there, there was no sinner's prayer. Sometimes we get so caught up. Did you, did you pray the right thing? There is no recording here of at any point that any of these first believers prayed anything. I'm not saying it's not good to pray. Not, you know, I think it's good to pray some kind of prayer. Maybe sometimes it helps us make that decision. But at the end of the day, they knew they met Jesus and they started following immediately. All they had to do. We make it so complicated sometimes. Well, I, I need to know this or I need to know that or I need to know. It's Jesus. You just had an encounter. I'm not saying we won't figure out some of the rest of it. And I think you need to be in the Word and you need to learn more. And the more, the more knowledge you have, if it's experiential, the greater it'll be. But knowledge just for knowledge's sake can get a lot of people stuck. They immediately followed him. Then they asked this question, which seems, I guess, Rabbi, where are you staying? Rabbi, what church are you abiding in? See, I would like to know that people, when they come to Renovation Church and they know people from Renovation Church, they say Christ abides. That's where he's staying. Oh, yeah, he's staying over at CCB too, and he's staying at, at you know, Lincoln, uh, you know, up on Lincoln. He, he's staying a lot, of it, but he's abiding there. But one thing I can tell you, I believe in that church, Christ abides. Christ, where are you staying? Come and see. Come with me. The word says they heard. I love this word heard here. It's the Greek. I'm going to butcher it, so I won't even try it. But I'll butcher it. You won't know the difference anyway, probably. (laughs) Akui. Akui. See, how many of you knew the difference? Like, none of you. Okay. But it means to comprehend by hearing. And here's the thing. It's not only comprehending and pay. In other words, you're saying pay attention. We paid attention. We comprehended. Then we heeded it. 
We acted on it. So they didn't just hear. A lot of you showing up week in, week out, and you're hearing. A lot of you listen to six different podcasts each week, or ten, or I don't know how many you want to listen to. But you're hearing, but you're not heeding. Some of you just need to get one sermon once a month and just act on that. I guarantee you, I don't mean keep coming every week. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) My point is, though, sometimes I think we stack so many sermons on top of ourselves that we don't act on any of them. And I'm all for having access to internet, and I, I, I mean internet, to, to podcast, and all those things. I think there's some tremendous words, prophetic words being spoken in our culture today. But let me say, friend, you can hear so many, you don't do anything with any of them. But they heard it, and they heeded. It's different. Huge difference. It's where we get the word acoustic from, is this word here. What I love about this, again, not only did they not pray the prayer. It came to each one of them in a little different circumstance. But specifically Andrew and Philip. They did what I think should come naturally to all of us once we have found Christ. Tell people. How can you believe this and know this and not tell people? This is not a guilt. Don't misunderstand what I'm trying to do here this morning. But these guys here knew they had met Jesus. They couldn't help. As we hear later on with Peter and John in front of the council, they couldn't help but tell about what they had seen and heard. They just couldn't help it. They're compelled. I remember telling my, old, my brother was just six, that's that six years older than me. I got two brothers, one's six years and one's eight years older than me. I remember after I got, gave my life to the Lord at 26 years old. Now, I knew I'd heard Christ. I'd heard him in, my, in, the, in the term that many of you may live. I heard him at 16. I heard the Holy Spirit wooing me, and I hardened my heart. I know what it's like to harden your heart and become indifferent to the gospel, to the Spirit pulling. But I also know what it's like to give in at 26 and find a whole new adventure I never could even imagine. But I remember after I gave my life to the Lord, the Lord was laying on my heart to tell everybody. And I remember, almost everybody. And man, I came trying to sit on, the, on, a, on a, a pool deck, trying to tell my older brother who's a heavy drinker and a lot of different things. He's the one that taught me how to drink, if you will. I don't know if you had to learn that or not, but he's the one that bought it for me. Maybe it's a better way. It's at 20, he was 22, I was 16. And trying to tell him about Jesus and him saying to me, little brother, that's good for you. That's just not for me. To the guys at the, alco- at the aluminum mill that I was working at, that, man, I was just telling everybody, man, they couldn't shut me up. Now, I have a feeling back then because I didn't really have very good theology. I was telling them terrible theology. But I'll tell you, what I did have was reality. I may have had bad theology, but I had the legitimate, genuine reality of what Christ had done in my life. That changes everything. Theology will catch up. But sometimes reality never catches up if it's only theology. I had the reality of Christ. 
My brother came to know the Lord, though. He's almost 50 years old. And he loves the Lord and serves in the kingdom today. Healed him of the alcoholism. Healed him of a lot of different things. He is better today at 65 years old, whatever he is, 60, yeah, 65 years old. He is healthier and stronger and loves the Lord than I've ever, and I've seen him in the last 40 years. God can. Don't get, if there's somebody you're giving up on, don't, don't do that. First off, it's not yours to give up on anyway. But here's the problem of teaching on Nathaniel, which ultimately we believe, or commentary, some way you disagree, but believe became Bartholomew. So as you look further down the list, and when you begin to see the list of all the disciples, you won't see Nathaniel necessarily recorded there, but you'll see Bartholomew. And when he's mentioned, he's mentioned also along with Philip, who was his companion or you know, great friend. So assuming that he is that, Bartholomew is hard to talk about in some ways as far as what happened later. What was the difference after this? Because there's not a lot written about it in Scripture that's recorded in Scripture. But Jesus points out at this point, which almost sounds like, well, of course you, we knew this part, that Nathaniel is an Israelite. But he's a special kind, not no special, he is, a, he is a different kind of Israelite. He is one without deceit. He is one without, and it's going to sound like he's got a lot of prejudice here, but it says he's without deceit. I think what, if I was reading this, he, if I was understanding it a little better, I think, and I, and I had more time to break this down because I want to get to something else, and I believe I'm supposed to. He was a type of person that, an Israelite that, Understood the word. He was a student. But he was the type of person that wasn't just going to shut it all off, even though it's going to sound like it here in just a second. He's willing to listen. He's willing to come and see. So he's not 100% prejudiced in this sense, but it's going to sound like here. He's not 100% because he's still willing to come and see, right? Now, he may have been 95%, but he's, and he understood Scripture enough to know this. The Nazareth's not really talked about in the, in the prophecies. Okay? So it's not really talked about. So when this guy comes along and says, hey, guess what? I have found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth, and he's a carpenter's son. Really? Really? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What's interesting about this is, one of the interesting things is we find out later in the book of John, as we read, John records later, that Nathaniel is from Cana in Galilee. It's a much more out-of-the-way town than Nazareth is. Nazareth, at least, was kind of a crossroads place where, you know, people going from one place to the other would come through Cana. You had to go, you had to be intentionally trying to get there. Nothing good can come out of Wicks, Arkansas, right? That's a nowhere place. You have to be trying, you, you almost have to be lost to find it. To find it. It's just out of it's nowhere. 
Jesus chose to live, to grow up in a backwater place where his place he grew up would not be automatically the place people go, well, great prophets come out of there. He chose a a blue-collar way of being raised. Who's going to pick him? You know, sometimes I believe God has this tendency to hide himself from us. Well, we have to come and see. We have to follow him. We have to move. It's not just going to be, there you go. Oh, well, everybody understands. No, by faith, you're going to have to step into it. Some of you, when we started going to Brother Paul's in North Little Rock many years ago to Friendly Chapel Church of the Nazarene, those who were with us, those who've been there, I have a feeling you thought nothing good goes on in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Why would I go to North Little Rock, Arkansas? Nothing good happens there. And what's funny about this story here to me is it's kind of like me being growing up in Polk County, Arkansas. And that's got some terrible history, I I hate to say, but it's got, but some good people have come out of there. But what I love about Polk County is Mena was our capital or our county seat, probably about 4,000 people. Wicks was the next largest city of 400 people, okay? To where I was raised. But we had this thought in Wicks, at least we're not from Cove. <laughs> and that's the truth. You ever had that? Going, I may be from one of the lower backwater towns, but at least I'm not from that town. Those uneducated, uncultured Rough individuals. Nothing good can come out of there. In order to follow Christ and to do what Christ is asking us to do, we're going to have to overcome some preconceived ideas, prejudices. We have to assume that God is always up to something. God is always at work in a people that we haven't, that maybe we've already given up on. God's already at work there. Do any of you remember when you finally saw Jesus coming by? If you reflect back on many of you, you remember Jesus was already up to something before you gave your life to him. He was, he was already, something was already happening. The church in America. When you used to build a town square, not all towns had them, but when you did, one of the things that were on the town square was a church. We're no longer in the town square, figuratively. You know, a matter of fact, we've been pushed to the edge of town. Unless you have enough followers, unless you have a Twitter account, unless you have enough famous, if you're famous enough, unless you have enough money, or unless you're enough, you're not progressive enough, unless you're enough, unless you're all of that, you really don't have any say so in the meaning of life. You don't really don't have any. You, you, the church really is not the place you go to, to to search for answers to things, because we've been moved to the edge of town, the backwater part of town. Those are uncultured. Those are people who just kind of just buy any kind of 
whatever and they just go with it. No, they don't contribute anything to the meaning of what we're supposed to be doing here. And in so many ways, the church over the last 30 or 40 years has been moved to the edge of town. So when people think of you nowadays and think of us nowadays, people go, first off, the first question is, do they even think of us? Which the answer that many times is probably not. But even when they do, do they think of us as part of the solution? When this community right here thinks of Renovation Church, do they think of us in any way, form, or fashion as part of the answer to what's going on in our culture or in this community? Back to Friendly Chapel. They think of Friendly Chapel as part of the answer. And part of that community there in North Little Rock, they look at them and they say they are part of the answer. Maybe they're holding us together. Because over time, that because that church is there, they've transformed their community. The church just didn't show up to suck up more air and take up more land. They came there to transform what was already going on from all, not only people's lives, but the physical plant around there. And it happened. Where city council people are telling Brother Paul and them, unless, and it's unbelievable what has happened there in the Friendly Chapel area of how that's been transformed over the last decade and a half. They said if it wasn't for Friendly Chapel, this would have never happened. Because you were the oasis in the desert. Oh, nothing good comes out of those people. We need to be a people where people go, man, if we were going tomorrow, the community would weep. If we were gone tomorrow, the community would go, man, there is a big old hole at 5604 North 24th Street. And it's not just a blank piece of property. It is a hole in who we are as a people in this community. Or we can just stay on the edge of town, figuratively, and contribute every now and then. We need to be a place where people go, come and see. I love Jesus' words here. Jesus said that disciples were following him, and Jesus turned around and said, What do you want? Now, Jesus, we talked about this in Bartimaeus a few weeks ago. Jesus. You're following, you're just now all of a sudden you're following, and Jesus spins around and goes, What do you want? I'm not sure that I would have answered, Where are you staying? <laughs> but maybe I would have when I think about it a little more. Jesus, I only want to be where you're going to be. I, I want to be. With the people, I want to be in your presence. I want to, like when he says to Nathaniel, when he says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, uh, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. The fig tree is the only tree listed in the garden besides the knowledge of good and evil because we know about the fig leaves that, that Adam and Eve covered themselves with, made clothes with. So we know we've got a fig tree there. So the fig tree is an important tree in the in Hebraic uh, tradition. Get this though, 
I have a feeling it's a little bit like this, and you can take it for what it's worth, as we're all being transformed all the time, right? Nathaniel needs to be transformed. It's almost like Jesus saying, Nathaniel, I saw you in the fig tree, but I saw you, I see you up every morning in my word. I know you're not what you're supposed to be yet and what you're going to be, but you're not what you used to be. I see you, babe. I see you, bud. I saw you. I saw you in my word. I saw you trying to reach out to people even though you're clumsy at it and you're all this. There's not a deceit in your heart. Your your intentions are perfect. Maybe your performance is not, but I see you. I see you. When you know Jesus sees you and he sees all of your flaws and he sees all of that and he still loves you and he asks you, what do you want? What are you seeking? It kind of reminds me in the garden, I don't have the scripture up there, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, uh, when, when the fall happens and Adam and Eve, what do they do? Not only with the fig leaves, they cover themselves up and they try to, but they're hiding and, and God comes walking through the garden. And he says this to Adam and Eve, where are you? He knows. But he wants them to know, I am searching after you. Even though you're hiding from me, listen up somebody in here. Even though you're hiding from me, I'm coming searching after you. God loves you. He is on your side. He's coming after you and he's relentless. But you can hide, and you can hide long enough to where it hardens your heart, and you no longer want to be awakened. Isn't it great to know that Jesus didn't just wait for you to wake up one day? He came searching after you. It's called the birth, the cross, and the resurrection. He came hunting after you. But he may hide himself in some backwater place and some, under some kind of circumstance that you say there's no way Jesus could be in that and he's walking right beside you. Matter of fact, he's chasing after you. I love what Dallas Willard says. He said, the kingdom of God is not overwhelmingly obvious. To say the least, it is sometime something one must seek. Therefore, something we must want. Isaiah the prophet exclaims, Truly you are the God who hides himself. I'll let that soak in just a second. And he goes on to say, But this is the way of love. That because we, in our rebellion against him, are hardened in our insistence on having our own way, our own kingdom... We must, he must hide from us to allow us to hide from him. Get that. To pretend we, individually and corporately, are in charge of our life. He is such a great and magnificent being that if he did not hide from us, we could not hide from him. He allows us the pretense of being our own God because that is what we want, what we choose. Push to the limit, this choice results in terrible evils of which we have proven capable. But he lets himself be known in the person of Jesus Christ. 
He is available to those who will search for him. The old prophet said, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart, Jeremiah 29, 13. But he will not force himself on you. Come and see. What do, you have to be do to, what do you have to do to be saved? I tell people all the time, really nothing. <laughs> Except this. Quit suppressing the truth. Romans 1.18 says, we are lost, we are evil, we are, because we suppress the truth. It's like a perpetual well that wants to spring up from within us. The scripture says, Jesus says, I will give you the, spring, the living waters. This perpetual well will want to spring up within you. But what happens is because we want to hide, what do we do? We suppress it. We stand on it. So I, I actually, almost like I'm just like to kind of go, I want to hold it down. I know God's wanting to do something in my life. I want to know he's wanting to change me. I know he's wanting to do all these things, but I'm going to keep it pushed down. And all you have to do is let go. Just get off of it. Let it go. Let him go wherever he goes. Let him do whatever he does. But we hide. Even like Al said, and those you know Al, Al hid for a long time because he just thought people were hypocrites. So it allowed him to hide. (laughs) Guess what? At the end of the day, it's not between you and anybody else, between you and God. That's it. What I love about the tradition about Bartholomew or Nathaniel or Bartholomew, whichever way you want to go with it, Tradition has it he died a martyr's death. Eleven of the twelve disciples died a martyr's death. They say he actually was whipped so much it cut him in half to shreds. What I read was he became the most adventurous disciple of all of them. He went all over the place to Turkey. He ends up dying, and tradition has it in Armenia. Many of you know my heart for the country of Armenia. He is the patron saint of the Armenian Apostolic Church is St. Bartholomew. His impact and him meeting Jesus face to face and him going, I know you are the Son of God. Changed not only his life, it changed, who knows, thousands and thousands more. But you don't die a martyr's death just on a hunch. It's because you know. I have to assign him to come as we wrap up here this morning in this series. What's it like when Jesus comes walking by? I know what it's like at 16 years old and hardening my heart. I know what it's like at 26 and giving in and then following after him. And he walks by all the time. His mercies are new every day. His presence is new every day. As we close out this series, I'm just going to ask you if, if there's, for whatever reason today, and in the Church of the Nazarene or in our, in our history, we continue to have the altars in place here for a place to come and pray. And... Uh, to lay it down. 
to come and see. We as a church here at Renovation are going to do everything we can to remove as many hindrances as we can when people want to come into this building. We want to be a church where hindrances for the gospel to move forward, we want to remove as many hindrances as we can. But it's got to be more than a performance and more than a nice building and good AC and all the lights and good music and decent preaching and all that. It's got to, you've got to come for more than that. You come and see him because he abides. Oh, and he abides where you're at work too. He abides at school. But he abides. Won't you stand as we close? Josiah, I'm just going to lead us through one course. I'm not sure what we're doing, but that's okay. It's okay, I don't know. Because honestly, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter in some degree what we sing. It's what God's telling you right now. Lord, help us right now across this room. Well, what a great crowd today, Lord. I know there's folks that are traveling, folks that are not here, and Lord, bless them and use them and touch them wherever they are, and Lord, use them as, the, as your presence abides with them that people will know that. But they won't see you as some backwoods or us as some backwoods, even though that's not bad, but we actually may have some answers to some things because we can point them to you. Help us be those kind of people. But Lord, today, for some folks today in this room may need to come just even down here, even though it doesn't have to happen this way. We know that we've already talked about it today, Lord. You can come to people in any way. Just my good friend, just a few weeks ago in Indonesia, he's sharing the gospel not very well. He will admit it was terrible. He said it's the worst presentation ever. And a man says to him, I see a man in white behind you. And the man gave his life to the Lord right there and was healed physically and spiritually and is now impacting other people. There is a man in white standing behind you. Even in our worst efforts, we just need to show up and try to point people to you. Help us, Lord, be that kind of people. But at this moment, Lord, just in case today there are some folks for the first time or just or maybe they've been sensing it, you've already been at work in their life, that this day would be a day of salvation. This day would be a day of consecration to just lay it down and to be able to say, I know I have seen the Messiah. Come and see. Let us be that kind of people, Lord. Thank you again for this opportunity this morning. Lord, bless our folks as they ponder this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You come if you feel led.